This program probably contains adult language and themes and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hey, you have managed to locate the General Concerns Podcast emanating from johnjgoddard.com. I am John J. Goddard, and I am back on my bullshit. Um, today, I have uh, an old friend from back in my days in Portland, Oregon, a Mr. Carlson Muss. Um, looking forward to talking with him about a variety of subjects. It's always interesting talking to him. Very intelligent, thoughtful man, individual, human being. So, this will be a good one. Um, I imagine it'll probably go pretty long, because... He's just, uh, there's just that much to the guy. So, um, without much further ado, uh, well, one more item of further ado. Um, if you haven't become a member at johnjgoddard.com, I encourage you to do so. Your membership supports the production of programs such as this. In addition to the development of further programs, uh, benefits of membership include uh, the knowledge that you are doing something good to support independent media, but you'll also get um, access to members-only content, such as the Art of Self-Exile story series, um, which has begun rolling out. Uh, You'll also get free downloads of uh, original music that I produce and write. So, uh, $20 a year uh, or $50 for a lifetime. Those are the only two membership levels I have. So, uh, become a member and stick around. We're going to get talking to Carlson here in a second. Hello? Carlson Muss. What's going on? John J. Goddard. How are you, man? Uh, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, how about you? Nice. Good. I am having a good day. Pente, you're just, uh, you're kind of wrapping yours up here, I, I take it. Yes. It is 10.52 p.m. in Los Angeles, California. Right on. Has um, has stuff stopped burning yet, or is that still uh, an ongoing thing? Last year, the fires really kicked uh, our ass down here in Southern California. I actually, I live in the valley, like north in the valley, the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, in a city called Tahunga, mm-hmm. and right at the foothills of the Angeles Crest Forest. And so it's really mountainous up here. I could see the fire from my balcony. And I actually had to evacuate my the city, the city of Tahunga, last year uh, for a couple of days. Um, but this year, I think most of the fires are like up in um, like Northern California. Okay. Close to Redding. Um I know in Oregon, they were even, like, affected by it. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I've got, you know, one of the other guys who's uh, a semi-regular on the podcast, uh, Paul. He uh, He's in Friday Harbor, Washington on San Juan Island. And, like, you know, they're, they're all having headaches and everything like that. It's all smoky up there. I mean, I guess they have fires up there, too, to some extent. I'm not sure of the uh, extent of the devastation, but um, 
but yeah, it's it's all the way up the coast, all the way up top. Yeah. So fires, uh, mudslides, earthquakes. This is a dangerous part of the uh, the geography of the planet. But hey, you know what? You're not alone because um, actually, my brother is over in North Carolina, and they are doing mandatory evacuations. I believe as we speak. Like at this at this moment, because there's like what seventeen different hurricanes about to descend on, on the entire East Coast at this point. Jesus, but yeah, he's like in um, he's in rally, and I talked to him today for a little bit, and I was I mentioned that I heard that there's mandatory evacuations, and I said, "Where are you guys going?" He's like, "Well, I'm I'm taking Rachel and the kids over to." Um, to charlotte i think which is you yeah. know further inland and whatnot and then i'm coming back i'm like what what the hell are you doing coming back are you gonna do some paragliding or something like that and it's like i gotta i gotta bring a, my helper back for work and get his i think he's got to get his um drill rig secured or something but uh so he's gonna he's gonna be riding the storm out but, uh, Yikes! Yeah, well, I know. And they don't have basements there uh, either. It's like everything goes okay for him. Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, I, I went to school in North Carolina. I went to college in uh, Winston Salem, and um, I've been to Raleigh. It's a nice, it's a nice city. Yeah, there. I uh, I know lots of people uh, in North Carolina. I hope they're all doing okay. That sucks. Well, if they're listening, um, which I, I'm pretty certain they've got other things on their mind than finding my podcast right now. But if they're listening, they've they've heard your your good wishes. If you're listening, if you're if you're on Facebook right now and you happen to see the link I posted while you're floating on a raft <laughs> or flying through the air. <laughs> I was, so it's um yeah it didn't even occur to me until I started seeing the posts on Facebook you know it's the anniversary of nine eleven did you I, I never even I mean I'm sure at some point now it's like you know it's like midnight fifty six here so like I, the normal shit storm of news cycle hasn't really started yet so sure. but um yeah I I get to start the celebration early um how many years has it been since nine the the original oh, it's 17 years 2001 yeah yeah so i uh yeah that's crazy i went to new york a couple months like for thanksgiving right after 9 11 and um it was i saw i was at the macy's day parade in 2001 and uh it was it was, a, it was my first New York experience, and it was a weird time to experience that city at that time. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I think that the parade and the, the, the holiday season kind of brought more people out I, because it was still – there was still a tone there, and that was, that was still a handful of months after. I can only imagine, um, the, you know, the day of or just a few days after or, you know – yeah, just, one of the things that um, somebody wrote was that just that, you know, I mean, New York is like a rat race and everybody's all 
into themselves and all self-centered and focused on what they're doing and everything like that. But then, but then when that happened, it was just like everything, the rat race stopped and everybody just kind of came together. And so there was, you know, definitely, I guess an upside to it. But I mean, you know, that's like the upside of somebody dying when the whole family comes together or something else, you know? Yeah. Well, there's always, um, a dark side of the moon. And the light side of the moon, you know, it's just uh, indeed. So, what have you been up to down in? Uh, when did you actually move down to Los Angeles? I know you've been down there for, or I should say, the Los Angeles metropolitan area. You've been down there for how many years now? Uh, five and some change, I'd say. Five years and uh, four months. Uh huh. And, you know, I guess we should let the folks at home know. Um, I know you from Portland, Oregon, from prior to our escapades as pirates, food pirates. Yeah, highly, highly illegal, that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, well, maybe uh, not highly, but maybe a little bit. Yeah, just naughty, like on the level of, you know, a child with a lemonade stand. Basically, yeah. I mean, they do bust children with lemonade stands now. So that's that's kind of, I think, the level. That's a great, great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. A little naughty. But um, yeah, so I should clear. I used to have this um, delivery service that I ran over Twitter called Secret Kebab. And um, Carlson was my prep cook and delivery guy. And, um, we, we entertained and fed the, uh, the Portland inner area for, well, we were in Northeast too. We actually, we started in Northeast way up by Vancouver. And then, when I um, met you, um, you, we kind of talked a little bit about you had, you, you wanted to do what were they called pasties? Yeah. Because it was less prep. Yeah. Um, and that kind of fell through, but secret kebab, I think is one of your best brain children and you have good ones, but not only was the kebab absolutely goddamn delicious, <laughs> but the, the concept behind it and how you could order one is so unique. And it was such an interactive experience for to order a kebab. You had to go through uh, a lot of Twitter um, like rants, I'd call them, from this fictional character that was supposedly the uh, the mastermind behind the whole secret kebab operation. Am I right? That, that, would you say that's like an accurate kind of summary? Of Very accurate. Yeah, it was, um, and the, it was like a treasure hunt, and it was that way by kind of design. You know, but this character, the Turk, was so funny, and it was just—it was just cool to have him, to just to follow him. Even if you'd never ordered a kebab, it was cool to follow that character on Twitter, just to see what what he was going to say next. You know, the um, actually, and, and I had—I ended up towards the end there. There started to be like followers in other states and people in like Chicago and Michigan as far away as that, that I could think of. I, I mean, I didn't keep track of like where, where everybody was, but there were people that, that followed it and interacted that never had a kebab. So I was, I'm yeah, a, I was pretty proud I'm of it. 
I'm, I'm, I've never been part of something that grew so fast that was almost like a, you know, like it made the front page of the Portland Mercury in just a handful of weeks. It was freaky. Through- yeah, it, it I was, was really freaky. And I was like, all right, well, I, I finally this is the thing I was like, this is this is the one that's going to make me, you know, this is the idea that's going to that's going to do it. You know, I think, we, you know, I think you should revive it and I, I'll help out with any in any way I can. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just think it was fantastic. I need to hire some college students, I think. Yeah, my kitchen days are done my kitchen days are totally done. Like I have to be, I have to be the chef at the desk or something. Well, actually in this case, I would have to be the Turk because I mean, I mean, I am doing like, I'm doing social media work for people now. Nobody um, else could be the Turk. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, yeah, there's, there's that too, but good times, I mean, I, man. I tried coming up with some Turk lines once. Like I tossed them by you, I think. And, uh, they just all fell flat. I mean, you nailed his voice perfectly. It was a mixture of like, um, like Santa Claus was one aspect of it. I can't remember who the other ones were. Santa Claus and I don't know if Cheech and Chong were in there, but um, there were a couple of people like that I knew when I lived in Croatia and I kind of based it partially on them, but Santa sure. Santa Claus was the main one, but the yeah. yeah the Croatian people it was like kind of like the Borat. Yeah, he did of, have Borat kind of yeah yeah a little bit of that Balkan villager kind of you know Eastern European, but you know superimposing that onto a Turkish guy basically. Yeah. So. Well, anyway. Anyway, I'm indeed. Glad- <laughs> that was fun going back to the secret kebab days. Yeah, that was that was fun. It was interesting. I will, I will say that. Uh, I wish I, I wish I could have kept it afloat. But so what? Um, moving along here, uh, what what spurred you to move down to Los Angeles? Actually, from Portland, I'd say there's uh, probably like three main reasons. Um, I'd say one. Well, okay the. I, first of all, I was born in Los Angeles, but we moved. My mom moved to uh, Portland when I was about three years old, so I don't really remember growing up here. Uh-huh. Obviously, but I I've always felt it. Like I've always visited Los Angeles uh, while growing up in Oregon, and I've always just felt very comfortable here. Um, so part so part of me just feels connected to the land. Um, there was that. I just really like, I just really like LA, the weather, um, the pace, you know, it, it, it's not for everybody, but it is for me, I think. And, um, the other reason was just to get into comedy, screenwriting, television writing. I like directing, acting. I just want to be in a, in a land where, that's all everybody talks about because that's all I like to talk about and that's yeah. all I like to participate in, you know? Yeah. I uh, kind of wish I could get myself there, um, you know, to work closer to the entertainment industry because I will tell you, like, I mean, that's that's always been a frustration of mine being in the Midwest and in St. Louis and, you know, not to 
not to knock St. Louis at all, um, but you know, it's like stuff just does not does not happen on a real level. You know, and it's like there's even, I mean, there's a dearth of of creative work to an extent. Whereas, like you know, if you wanted to get into voiceover, I mean, of course, you're going to have a hell of a lot of competition out in Los Angeles, but there's a lot more work out there. You know, and it's like. <laughs> People just do those jobs like it's just normal here. It's like if you have some kind of entertainment job, it's, um, you know, it's it's unique. But out there, it's just like normal. It's like that's kind of. That's it's kind totally of, normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I have three good friends that are voice actors doing really well. One is the uh, the voice of T-Mobile. His name is Jeffrey Johnson. Okay. we got a friend. Yeah. uh who does uh, the Star Wars animated show, and she's getting these awards. The show's getting all these, you know, she's got a great thing going on. And I know the guy who does the voice, he's the voice of the Oscars and all the, like, the special event TV events. And, you yeah. know. And those are, like, that's those are people you know. <laughs> and you know? Those people that I talk to regularly, then they're just, that's just their job. And I got a bunch of, you know, it's in most of my people, my friends are in the industry, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, waiters and property managers, everybody's in the industry to some extent or trying to get in, I would suppose. For services, the industry in some way. I mean, like if you're, some people are like, you know, a realtor to the stars, uh, hair you know hairdresser to the stars you know and so they're like little mini celebrities in this in this city you know it's 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 a weird place (laughs) yeah i mean yeah and now i have um i have a couple friends that moved out there from here as well like my one friend chris um who was in the band with me in high school he was the guitar player but he lives out there now um but he he laments like the the superficiality and the and the um kind of very self-centeredness or self-involvedness of it and so i mean i'm sure that like i mean you're from the west coast so like there's a totally different vibe from living on the west coast than there is like in the midwest but somebody coming from the midwest is going to notice you know sort of a a great cultural change moving moving out there but um he's like yeah there's assholes everywhere <laughs> yeah i mean that's true there are assholes everywhere yeah. uh, you know i just i the way i kind of see it is that um there's a lot of things that in los angeles that are fake you know um the movie industry is all about fake you know there's, by its very own nature yeah it's uh you know it's an illusion everything's done on a set you know you're not you're not actually where you are so personalities can be kind of fake um there's a lot of fake tits here fake faces fake you know yeah um, knock off whatever there's fake shit but isn't that real though? When you think about it, <laughs> you know, isn't that an identity? It's a That's very a genuine, it's a very genuine fakeness. Yeah, <laughs> totally so what, aware of itself. <laughs> what's what's fake is real in Los Angeles. That's okay. what I say. It's uh, consciously constructed. 
Yeah. Maybe that's that's a better way to put it than fake. Consciously constructed. It's very consciously constructed. <laughs> Batman is not a prick. He's consciously constructed. <laughs> so, um, comedy. You were doing stand-up for a bit there, weren't you? I was trying to. Yeah. Um, I don't... I'm doing improv now. Um, yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah, I the life the the stand up lifestyle is not for me. Yeah, and I wish I wish it were because I love stand up. I love the craft of it. Yeah, um, I love I love great polished stand up. I see every single stand up show that comes on all the channels. I've seen I can you know seen it all, but um, the lifestyle is kind of rough. You know, when you're starting out and you're yeah. not. A, it's uh, kind of depressing and it's kind of taxing if you um, don't like st- I don't like staying up too late, you know, and sometimes you get home at 3 a.m. And the clubs are just dark places where you're lucky if you have an audience of seven people and those seven people are also doing open mic night, you know, and um you don't have like it's hard to start off and have a real audience, you know. Right. And with improv, you can have a real audience right away. Um, at least through UCB, um, Upright Citizens Brigade. And that's, that's where you're. That's where your work is. You're, you're working right now, or focused. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm doing improv at. And okay. uh, well, that's I love, fantastic. And I love the, you know, I love if I want to see a stand-up show, you know, at the Improv or at the Comedy Store, Laugh Factory, Flappers, Ice House, all the comedy clubs here. There's always a two-drink minimum um, or a two-item minimum. Mm-hmm. The ticket price is twenty dollars, so already there you're at forty dollars. You know, the uh, the show may or may not be good. If you go and see the same person again. You're probably going to see the same his his act again, you know. With with improv at UCB, you can see a show for five dollars. You will never see the same show again. It's always uproarious, you know. It's just a very good show. I mean, the people that make it on to their stages are just seasoned, you know. And I would imagine the energy is a lot more positive yeah i would imagine it's just a lot more alive and like not depressing maybe because you you, people have to be on their toes for that and so like the 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 collateral energy of being around people who have to be on their toes and in order to keep up with the um the content you know you yourself have to be on your toes in in the audience to a degree oh for sure you know um i've seen Hundreds of live improv shows, and I have yet to to be in the audience where there's been a heckler. Yeah, that would just be shitty. That says something, you know. The people are, they're not, they are being entertained. They feel, you know, like they're, there's no reason to give. And also, it's kind of like there's, there's also like six people on stage. You're not just heckling one person, and it's not like so vulnerable. You're kind of sharing the vulnerability um as well when you're on stage and the the idea of it is to not be the center of attention it's to support your partner 
you know, and and a and a scene will fail if both partners aren't supporting each other. So I think inevitably that positive, uplifting, energetic feeling is born from just kind of the rules of improv, you know. Well, it's like volleyball. I'd say so. Yeah. You know, but except that you know, if you're there's no competing teams, you're not trying to. Um, you know, force the other team to lose. It's just one team, and the object is to is to keep the ball in the air. Exactly. So, yeah. I've never thought of that. Um, I've never thought of that analogy before. But that's. Uh, I think that's a great one. I heard. A, I heard a good one too. Um, improv is a lot like the movie The Matrix, um, huh. especially like that scene where he's like bending the spoon with his mind. Okay. You can like when you're on stage, you're essentially in the matrix where you can do anything, be anyone, be anywhere, um, and you can manifest, you know, whatever you want and create this picture or this world for uh, yourselves and the audience. Yeah. You know? Well, I like that. Um, pretty- you can kind of and you can turn things on a dime. I would imagine. Okay. Yeah, you can go on a ride. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you will never see the same show again yeah. with the same jokes, the same tempo, the same, you know, amount of scenes. Um, you know, sometimes it'll go like one scene will lead to another, will lead to another. And sometimes it's like a, just one long story, you know, and that comes back to certain plot points. I mean, it could get very elaborate and sometimes it's just, silly and off the wall sometimes it's you know you never know and that's 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 what's so cool to me about it now do you work with um you end up on stage with some of the same people like recurring participants so like is there there's an opportunity to like kind of you get on stage with somebody you've been on stage with before and you're like okay i get this guy's rhythm and they get your rhythm and you're like let's you know let's take this to outer space here I mean, do you ever find yourself in those situations or is it just, do they kind of, do they kind of organize it as like a, a large particle collider where they're just smashing people together? There, it, um, you can see all kinds of shows there, but the, the ones that they do on the main stages, um, those are kind of the season teams. And so those people know each other and have been working with each other for a while. And the very first improv class I ever had um, the teacher recommended that we all just go out and get drunk together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that way you just loosen up, you get to know each other really fast. And although I don't drink anymore, um, we did, I did participate in like, we did, there was like Mike's hard lemonade had some sponsored thing downtown and it was a lot of fun. And yeah, four of us got together and the four of us that got together that night, we we've just all kind of just stuck together, you know, and I think that was good advice the guy gave us at the beginning of class, like get to know each other, hang out, party, right. you know, like your scenes are going to be better when you know each other comfortable, you know, there's there's something that happens. And and yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think there's a coincidence that I'm still working with the same four people that happen to, you know, go to these extra, you know, you, you know, hang out outside of classes and outside of shows but get to know each other on like a personal level right so how long um how if i may uh change the subject how how long uh, ago did you quit drinking 
Well, um, if I'm being well, oh, I, I moved to Los Angeles for three main reasons, and I think I told you two of them. But the third reason was to stop drinking because um, I felt like Portland was killing me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, at the time, that's how I felt. I realize now it wasn't Portland's fault at all. Um, but at the time, I thought Portland was killing me. Um, but I just started, you know, going to those secret society underground Illuminati type meetings. Sure. The ones uh, you can't talk about. The ones that are kind of like anonymous that I don't want to tell. Sure. And, you know, because they'll be breaking my anonymity as a grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just, you know, keep that under wraps. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. But, uh, but yeah, I just started hitting meetings and it was a great way to just kind of meet people fresh off the boat, you know, um, and it was a thing to do uh, as soon as I moved down here. So, you know, I got I got a good three years, my first three years um, here, and then I had a slip up and then I got another good two years and I actually had a slip up five months ago Um and but it was one night it wasn't like a big again i got really lucky because sometimes people slip up and then they're off to the races for years right um so i got really lucky but it was one night uh i was very depressed i was getting over a breakup the breakup actually happened a month before that but i was not handling it well mm -hmm. and i wasn't kind of getting the the help i needed and my resentments were growing and um futility kind of, yeah a sense and of I, hopelessness I said, fuck it. Yeah. And so I do have about five months right now. And that's that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, who's keeping score? AA. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I lost privileges to the tennis court, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully... I make another month. I can use the jacuzzi again. Yeah, that you know, I've had this year was um, now I I have stopped drinking too. Um, last year, if I may, you know, begin to talk about myself because sharing is caring. Um, <laughs> we can meet mini meeting right now. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Publicly, uh, not so anonymously. Um, well, yeah. like I had to get. I had to get out of the restaurant industry. Number one, I think that was because I think that was like, I mean, the culture is just, it's a culture of getting fucked up <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And all of the triggers are inherently there in the work because the whole, <laughs> the whole nature of the service industry is, is people basically, you know, treating you like shit and yeah. you trying to make those people as, as happy as, as possible and forgetting yourself and not taking care of yourself. And so it's like, it's, you're set up for, for just feeling like crap and needing to just say, fuck it and blow off steam. But then, you know, I mean, there's like, there are no, there are no volleyball teams that, that after, after a night of cooking, you know, the volleyball team is, is sits at the bar basically. Yeah. Um, so 2016, yeah, I got, I got out of, um, I got out of the restaurant industry. I'm like, I don't necessarily know what I'm going to do next. I just, I can't 
I can't do the cooking anymore, you know? And I was like, aside from that, it was like, you know, I'm 46 now at the time I was 44. So, you know, my body was, my body was starting to reject the work and I'm slowing down and shit like that. But so there were, you know, there were other reasons on top of it having to work with 12 year olds. Um, but sure. um, Yeah. Well, do you remember when, um, we actually met, I was, a I was a line cook at the gypsy. Yeah, exactly. And I, I had never drank or done more drugs than like in a condensed amount of time than oh my, my God, that, that place, that place. Yeah. It's I'm, a taxing, it's a taxing lifestyle. I'm glad. I mean, it's a good thing. They burn that place to the ground, you know? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Have you have you been in that neighborhood since since it's no more? No, they put up an apartment building there right across from Moomoo's, from what I understand. They did, and it is such a different vibe on that street. Yeah, such a different vibe. So is everybody from like San Francisco now, or and, and or fuckheads like me from LA? Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> that too. Yeah. But yeah, my, uh, I mean like 2017 to get back to my little diatribe real oh, quick yeah. so we can move on. Um, sure. like 2017, I got a factor. I ended up with a factory job and did that. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's normal. And like, I, I kept my drinking to the weekends. I never drank during the week at all during the entire year. And that's, and then 2018, I was like, okay, I, I think I can, I can cut it out. And then, you know, I've had, I've had a couple of slip ups this year, but like you said, you know, they were just like isolated incidents where it wasn't like I went on a long tirade or anything like that. And it wasn't like I went out, like, I don't, I don't touch bars. I don't do any of that scene anymore. It was all just been like, you know, restrictive, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty much I'm pretty much locked back in now, and it's great. I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Um, yeah, I you know I don't know. We we're I think the two of us are very different people, but for whatever reason, we get along on a lot of levels. And I think that the times we butted heads the most in Portland. We're, we're definitely fueled by alcohol. Oh, my God. And undoubtedly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was just, I mean, you, even if you're not in the moment, if you're not drinking in the moment, it's like your brain still is, you know, there's, you're poisoned. And it's like, you know, you, you don't, I don't know, you quit when you stop drinking. It's like you've got about a week. And after about a week, it's like, oh, everything's yeah. everything's starting to work again. <laughs> exactly. And then a week after that, it's like, oh, everything's working a little bit better even. And then after that, you know, it just it keeps getting better. And <clears throat> if, you know, if you can focus on that. Now, <sighs> that's kind of one of the, I don't know. Tell me about your experience with AA because I have my own and I'll, you know, I'll offer that possibly, but I found that as I think I've mentioned to you before, like AA, I've been to several meetings and like, it just, it made me want to drink right. <laughs> like badly. Well, it was I a would, trigger. I would- I would say that um, I have had drinks after meetings um, before 
Um, it was mostly like when I was beginning it, you know, like, um, I think I started going to meetings in Portland, uh, maybe like a year or two or so before I moved to Los Angeles. So I started in Portland, but I was really, I was really, um, you know, in and out with it in mm-hmm. Portland when I started, I didn't, I didn't hit the ground running and, um, you know, I, 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 I'd say I was auditing it, you know, yeah. I was just, I was just sitting in kind of, it was kind of a novel thing to me. Um, but it just grew on me. Um, but in that time I, I did drink after meetings. I wasn't totally committed to the program. Um, I thought that there was a lot of stupid things about it. Um, it wasn't until I really moved to Los Angeles and I was kind of like desperate for friends um, that I just started going to lots of meetings. And after a while, the brainwashing started to kick in and, uh, I just, I'm just in love with the program now. Yeah. Um, and I do say brainwash when I say brainwashing, I mean that kind of literally, um, well, it's programming. I mean, yeah, because my, it is because my brain kind of did need to be programmed. Um, it was, I was running the program of Carlson, you know? Right. Uh, and the program of Carlson is pretty much be fucked up. Um, do whatever you want. Say whatever you want, you know? Um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that's not really the AA program. And I just needed to um, get over myself a lot, um, you know? I turns out I have a big ego. Yeah. Who knew? Um, but an, it just an honest personal inventory. Yeah. A lot of people have a hang up with the, um, with the religion part. I know that some people are in this thing called smart recovery. Um, and I think I've met about five people in my life that have never used any kind of program mm-hmm. at all. Just quit alcohol, cold Turkey. And, never worked a program um and but you know who knows if i've met more it's not like everybody talks about it in public you know in polite society or whatever well i think that's one of the things it's like uh, of the people who have maybe just said "Eh, i don't want to do this anymore it's like people who quit smoking and think nothing of it and it's not a big long ordeal or a battle it's just like but i don't you know i'm done with this you know, right whatever and it's not an issue whereas and this is um this is kind of something that i've come up against with the um the prevailing kind of narrative that that you're sort of expected to get into and it's not just like with the religious aspect of like accepting a higher power or anything like that but like i think and this is you know let me go back to saying that you know some people do really need some serious reprogramming and the program does work for people. And I don't knock, I don't knock it for working for other people. And I don't say that, you know, other people should not do it because if it's working and if that's what you need, then absolutely for fuck's sake. But like for me personally, like I see, um, there's sort of this push of, 
of uh, sort of implied guilt, like this narrative of implied guilt and having to sit there in your own shitty diaper kind of thing. And like where you have to continue to revisit these things. And I understand that, you know, for some people definitely need to continuously revisit horrible shit in order to stay away from horrible shit. Um, but, so it sounds like you're kind of talking more about somebody just walking into the program because I, I don't feel like I'm sitting in a shitty diaper anymore, but I certainly have felt that in the past. And that was kind of one of my, my beefs with AA from the very beginning. Oh, I'm know? not even, I'm not even just talking about AA. I'm the talking about the people the and, uh, you know, there is a little bit of that, um, pageantry you know well i mean i'm like i said i'm not even talking about just AA. like i mean people in my life who are like john you got a problem you know you you need to deal with this this you don't respond well to this stuff and i'm like you know at a certain point i'm like yeah you know what you're right i don't i need to i need to get myself away from this stuff but like i don't know i've i've i have found sort of um, a program that is working um, yeah. and I'm locked into it. And I think I've mentioned to you before that like the sort of the substance use has kind of fallen away and kind of flaked away as a result of being focused on something larger and so where it's not like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm all about my sobriety every day, you know, and it's like, I don't even like the word sobriety because it's sort of, it has this entire, this entire, uh, lexicon of, of terms and, uh, implied concepts that sort of draw, sort of draw the mind back to a religious sort of the religious, um, what am I, the paradigm of seeing oneself as a worthless piece of shit human being that can't take any agency for oneself. Like in the Catholic religion, absolutely. That's what you're, you're taught that, you know, you're a piece of shit and your salvation can't come from you. It only comes through accepting something outside of yourself greater than yourself. You know, I, I have a, an opinion though and this is just my opinion that an alcoholic is kind of vacillates between feeling like a piece of shit anyway and feeling like god <laughs> maybe god's too much but like feeling like you know the boss and oh, that, yeah absolutely you know, um and vacillates between the two you know like like king i'm i'm king um fuck up or king shithead there you go you know and and so that's kind of like a more of a you know behavioral issue in a way i i'm a firm believer that um alcohol wasn't my problem life was my problem alcohol was my solution um it's just that alcohol, you pay a price with it, you know? Right. It, it costs you more than just money, you know? It costs you relationships. Um, it costs you jobs. And it costs you, you know, love. It, co it, it costs you uh, 
connection to beautiful things. Right. Uh, it costs it costs a lot. It costs way more than just money. And you know those few hours you get of euphoria, just for me, it just wasn't pay, equaling out anymore. You know. Well, and there you go, and you've got like a week until it's out of your system and the magic starts to creep back into your life again, at least a week, depending on how far you've, you've gone to fuck yourself up. Well, I got a friend staying with me at my house right now and he's not here. He's taking a shower right now, so he can't hear what I'm saying. Right. Um, but he's on day four right now and he, he came to Los Angeles because he called me. He does. He didn't know. He doesn't know what to do. He can't stop, you know? Yeah. And he knows I started doing the program and that I do, that's what I do, and that I'm sober. Um, or at least make a good attempt at it, you know? Right. Um, and and I do go to meetings all the time. And uh, so, you know, he's here. And I underestimated how, I never had withdrawals uh, that caused delirium tremens or DTs. Nor you know. I. And, you know, I, I don't know what percentage of alcoholics do, but not everybody, not everybody goes through that. I was a binge drinker and I blacked out all the time. Not everybody does that, you know. Um, but, uh, but this guy had DTs the first, the first, I picked him up from the airport and he was like pretty much fine all day. And he didn't drink all day, but he had his last drink before he got on the flight. Right. Um, I had to call an ambulance later that night because he almost bit off his tongue. He was seeing people. It was frightening. And I was I spent an hour propping him up and trying to get him to, uh, you know, respond. And just uh, the shakes the, the were violent. And this uh, I didn't know he had a seizure. I, just, I, was, I was so confused. I had no idea what the fuck was happening. Yeah. He seemed fine. And he didn't have anything to drink, you know. That level uh, is inconceivable to me. Me too. Um, but that being said, I I still see myself in the in him. You yeah. know, um, especially behaviorally um, and who we are, like our personality types. There's a there's like a common denominator. You know, our relationship, our dance with. Um, liquor is different, but well, and but, I was going to say, you know, when you mentioned the like, when you said alcohol isn't necessarily your problem, was, and you, I think you said ego is your problem, and I wanted to chime in and say that, you know, the biggest work that I have had to do uh, has been on my ego, you know, and that's why kind of like I the program that I'm engaged in, which is essentially Buddhism is, yeah. you know, it's all about destroying the ego. Yeah. And so that's why I say that, you know, everything's just kind of flaking away everything else. And it's like, I'm finding levels of, you know, there's always another level, you know, that's, that's the fun of the game. There's an, there's always another level to conquer and you have to continually just be totally vigilant of yourself. And so like the, you know, the personal inventory that you do in, in AA of like, you know, humbly examining yourself, that's every fucking minute of every fucking day. And, you know, to someone who aspires to good Buddhism, you know, 
Yeah. So that shit's that shit's working. Um, well, I think so far. <laughs> but ego, yeah, ego is huge. And you know, I think that that's getting straight to the source, though. You know, um, like I feel like kind of the principles that really mean anything kind of come from kind of Buddhist principles too. You know. Um, well, it's it's inherently lacking in bullshit and pageantry. Right. Yes. Yes. I, no, I totally agree with you there. Um, I there's also this Buddh. I think it's a Buddhist. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a Buddhist thought or philosophy that, you know, everybody is addicted um, yeah. and and suffers in life and um what everybody, the one thing everybody is addicted to, because not everybody's addicted to, some people are addicted to gambling, sex, food, uh, addicted to love, codependency, addicting to spending or debting or whatever, man, you name it. Right. You can get addicted, but the addiction that supersedes all those addictions is the addiction to your own thinking. Yeah. And that's, that's what everybody is addicted to. The bullshit story you tell yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, um, as far as alcoholism goes, you know, alcohol is happens to be a substance that I used for mostly practical reasons. It's legal. It was accessible, you know. Um, cheap. Cheap, yeah. Maybe I'm too lazy to score heroin, you know, <laughs> or, you know, figure that out. Because I probably would have loved it if I ever did it. I think I everybody know. does that tries yeah, it. I'm pretty sure that's what they say. <laughs> uh, so I'm just lucky there. But, you know, it's not so much. It's more about the ism in alcoholism to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so although I go to meetings called Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. um. I wish there was just kind of like an ism anonymous, like a fucking addicts, whatever your affliction is, you know, come on by. Because whatever it is, um, you know, science hasn't really found out how to cure it. Well, and there again, it's like, I think... And what you say, you know, what you say about science not finding a way to cure it is because the, um, oh, excuse me, I had a little bit of gas there. Um, the, I, I think things like alcoholism or, you know, addiction, these are symptoms. They're not, they're not the actual problem. And it's like, that's, you know, why I say, okay, my whole problem was my ego. And it's like, that was the main fucking issue because, I, you know, I, when I came into drinking and I didn't until I was like, really, I didn't start until I was like 21. And it was all about, um, it was all about connecting with people because I was fairly like, I've always been different from other people, always been somewhat socially withdrawn. And it was a way for me to just kind of be like everyone else in, in one regard, but also kind of give, you know, take away the inhibition that prevented me from just exploding into this dynamic cartoon character, you know, which, which was kind of, you know, that was my rocket fuel for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm over, 
I'm over hanging around people and I'm over, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm over being a cartoon character, but not for the sake of like getting a bunch of attention. It's like now, now I'm trying to do it at this website, you know? So, Oh, I couldn't agree more. I am absolutely not over being a cartoon character. I want to, I want to be a bigger cartoon character, to be honest. There um, you go. There you go. And do it better. Like, right. And, and reach more people, you know, make more people happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, something alcohol took away from me, too. Um, my, my love of doing that. My love of comedy, performance, you know, um, acting. It just sucked it all away i've just became so indifferent to everything you yeah. know take it or leave it i don't give a fuck well yeah i mean physiologically um physically i mean one of the effects is the the depressive effects of what it does to your body it's like i mean it essentially lays the groundwork for that cynicism and not give a fuck and negative thinking patterns and stuff like that and it's like that's not it's not a it's not something from your character that's physically what it does you know it sets it sets your brain up for that you know turd spinning down the toilet sort of thinking (laughs) yeah for sure and you don't realize it you know you don't realize it because you're in it and you're like oh boy everything sucks but then you you know but then you quit and it's like oh this, this isn't such a big deal you know right so. That's why a lot of people, I think, are afraid to stop. They don't know how who they'll be necessarily. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they don't I think, be able to have fun anymore. Yeah, that's a huge, huge reason why people don't. The fear of missing out, FOMO. You know? There you go. And you know what? That was another thing that I that I had to conquer, and that I've worked to conquer is the the fear of missing out. And it's like I don't know. This is probably has something to do with getting older, too. Um, as that, I don't really, I don't really give a shit about going and socializing anymore. And I've kind of like, I've constructed sort of a, a fairly restrictive lifestyle where it's like, I don't, you know, I don't go out to bars. I don't really care about even going to concerts anymore. I mean, every once in a while something comes up that it's just like, I have to see that, you know? Um, but like, you know, I, I'm a monk. <laughs> All I do is I, I work on my shit. Uh, I meditate. Um, I exercise. I eat. I sleep. And, like, that's that's kind of, I think that's kind of why I don't require maybe the reinforcement of a support group is that I'm happy with a very restrictive set of guidelines to, to live my life and to avoid you know the influences and the triggers right so um do you hang out with other buddhists not yet but i did i found i found a temple um i think it's i think it's a chinese it's either chinese or thai i'm not sure i I, my leanings are probably more towards like japanese or tibetan maybe um I i mean ultimately there's no difference. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much the whole motto of ultimately there's no difference. Right. But, um, yeah. I, I, as far as like the, <laughs> the pageantry of it, 
I don't know, my my fashion sense is probably leans more towards like Tibetan or Japanese. Um, so, but yeah, there is there is a temple not far from here. But I am I have been on the outskirts of St. Louis for the last close to five years now. Um, I've been in a town called St. Charles, um, which is, I would not say that it's the most culturally diverse place. Um, it's pretty much, it's kind of like what you might expect from a town in Missouri that is not a major metropolitan city. And I don't want to, you know, end up casting too many aspersions on it because there's a lot of wonderful people here and there's great stuff, but you know, it's basically a big strip mall. Um, yeah, so, but I'm, I'm, we'll soon be moving back to the city of St. Louis and I will tell you, and I said this to somebody today, I was, I had some meetings in town today, um, you know, going back to St. Louis and especially South St. Louis, it's like, uh, compared to St. Charles, it's like Portland fucking Oregon, you know, it's just really? the diversity and the cultural diversity and just, you know just the, the different food you can get. So I think there's, I, I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm pretty sure there's a number of Buddhist temples there in the city. I know there's at least one, there's gotta be like one big one, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I think like, um, spirituality is kind of like this, the, uh, you know, similar to, um, you know, the affliction of alcoholism for me where it's kind of like this can go deeper you know like right and it's like when, when you're saying no to either either side like my alcoholism can go deeper and there is no end to it i guess death would be um but so can my my kind of my uh my spiritual path that can go deeper too and that doesn't really have an end right as well you know it's always kind of like a state of discovery. Right. Or downward spiral. I mean, you can downward spiral into religion for sure. Um, yeah. uh, but you, so like you said, like you hang out with Buddhists, like, I mean, the idea of going to a temple, I think that's something that I definitely need to get into and check out and kind of just for the sake of getting on to some kind of program for it. But like the notion of like, <laughs> like Buddhist, groups or I've never been a joiner, but like hanging out with, hanging out with Buddhists and just doing things in life, like functioning in life, um, you know, eating together or something like that and being among people who are like-minded without participating in a ritual to kind of unify that makes more sense to me just being around like-minded people and they wouldn't even have to be buddhist you know um there there are not many like-minded people where i've been living i will i will say that that has been an issue well what i think one thing we have in common is um i think we're both you know i don't want to toot our horns too but we're you know we're smart guys and um, we we can see through bullshit, you know. Well, pretty we're, we're pretty we're pretty accustomed to being called fucking weirdos too, you know. And I, I think that's part of you know anybody that has some intelligence because not 
You know, anytime you talk about your own intelligence, you sound like an egomaniac, but it's like, no, <laughs> actually, think, objectively, some people are smarter than other people. So, I think the reason why I'm not really much of a joiner either, and why maybe you might not be a joiner either, is because you, most things, and I mean most things, that you join, there's some bullshit attached to it. You know? there's, there's a requirement to give up some of your own agency and some of your own free thinking. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, Oh yeah, that's part of it. And there's a bigger picture and you're only allowed to see a certain part of it, you know, until and you reach the next level. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> some arbitrary point at which you have reached a next level and now you're eligible for, <laughs> Precisely for a you know a slice of casserole you know you probably gravitate towards Buddhism because there is no you don't sense any bullshit attached to it. Well, the whole point of it is is getting rid of bullshit. Exactly, exactly. You know, and um, now you, if you go back and you listen to the podcast series, um, one of the early ones, Paul, uh, my friend in Friday Harbor, he. Um, I on one of the early ones, I was seeking out some kind of community to join. And um, at that point, I was looking at the Baha'i faith and boy, they're full of shit. But uh, I mean, nice people, but boy, they I mean, they have some some layers of bullshit going on there, Um, at least structurally speaking. Now, I have friends who are Baha'is. They're wonderful people. What I understand about the Baha'i religion is that it's kind of a like the best of all religions, kind of hodgepodge, kind of assembly. Right. Is that right. that? And if you're if you're looking at like the the Judeo uh, Christian, you know, Muslim traditions out of out of those, the Abrahamic religions, shall we say, uh-huh. of the Middle East, I would say that maybe it's probably up there near the top in that gang um in that gang of traditions um but there's still like a lot of a lot of cultural middle eastern things that you know that kind of that kind of resonate the same way that like sharia law resonates and you know how that whole thing operates there's there's some stricture and some some limitations to it that like i couldn't like they're you know you technically or you know very strictly speaking you homosexuality is is not allowed you can't be a homosexual and be a baha'i and i was like well that's bullshit you know it's like sex is a part of life um sex has nothing to do with the afterlife it's it's a function of the you know the mechanical physical world and the whole point of religion is getting beyond the bullshit of the physical world but you're hung up on this one aspect of it and paul was like when when i was talking about it he was like well that's that kind of there's a huge taboo in the middle east against homosexuality um and you know that's kind of that's been there for a long time so there's there's cultural reverberations but then he was also and this is probably when i first started like really looking at buddhism he was like have you looked at buddhism and i was like you know what i really did and i i guess if you go back and listen to the early podcasts you'll hear it um but like that's when i started to really consider it's like and i 
I've read pl- a plenty about Buddhism, um, but like as far as like actually applying it and trying to get into it and actually meditating and developing a, a daily meditation practice, that's only been in the last few months, and it's you know it's opened up worlds of possibility. So yeah, have you ever heard of um, Against the Stream? Isn't that a Kenny Rogers song? <laughs> it, it very well may be. Um, no, that's. Uh, I'm thinking Islands in the Stream. That was a duet with Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Any, I'm not just uh, Kenny Rogers aficionado. Oh well, that's. We'll have to work on that. Um, it's basically <laughs> um, it's a Buddhist meditation society essentially, um, but they have. I think it's called like Dharma. I've been to a couple of these, like a handful, um, to a couple of these like meditations. Uh-huh. Um, it's in they they have this place in Los Angeles and I know they have like a New York chapter. I don't know how big it is exactly, but it's it's recovery oriented, but it's through um Buddhist um it's like in a, a Buddhist community, you know. Interesting. Yeah, and then there's this book. Up. The guy who wrote the book, his name is Noah Levine. Oh, I've heard and, of him before. Yeah. Um so it's yeah, it's against the stream. I'm looking it up on my computer right now. Okay, a Buddhist manual for spiritual revolutionaries, and uh, yeah, the the meetings I've been to, the against the stream meetings I've been to, I've I've liked them all. Um, usually, like a 20 minute guided meditation, and there are usually there are people, um, usually addicts, um, there. And you don't identify as whatever, you know, you're just there as yourself and, um, and you share, and it's kind of similar to an AA meeting where people can raise their hand and share about what's going on in their life or, um, there's sometimes there's a topic and a leader that has, you know, suggests a topic or whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of more, there is like a Buddhist preamble that they read, and it's structured kind of like an AA meeting, but it's just a Buddhist thing. Right. Um, just sort of a different flavor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, if you're, you know, it's... Well, that's good. Like it's I mean, just another, uh, you know, path to recovery if whatever is not your thing. There need to be different flavors. They definitely do. I, you know, and one of the people yeah. that there was a, a counselor when I was, you know, that I was speaking with, um, I got it referred to and she asked me if I was a member of a support group. And I said, no, it's like I've been to a couple of AA meetings and this is a, you know, a licensed psychologist. And she's like, I don't I don't recommend AA. And there's there's plenty more out there. But she was, you know, she wasn't saying that it didn't, you know, it was bad or that it didn't work. She was like, I think there's, I think there's stuff out there that's as good or, you know, for some people even better. So, you know, and of course there is, you know, it's, there's more than one road to it. I agree. But they all leave. Well, you know, nobody gets out of this alive anyway. Yeah, and I figure the sun will explode and engulf the planet, and there will be nobody here to even remember anything. So nothing will 
have ever have happened even i think yeah max i've got you know 50 or 60 more years of this bullshit left <laughs> yeah so at least i got that going for me so let's just you know let's just enjoy it <laughs> indeed well carlson this has been it's been great talking to you i've missed you uh and uh it's been really good connecting again i am super glad to hear that you are um that you're on the road to clarity uh and staying fixed on that path um what's when are you uh, when are you i'm sorry when are you at the uh upright citizens brigade next are you there regularly uh i my next show is gonna be i think it's gonna be a sunday september 23rd Sunday, September twenty third, uh, at two thirty p.m. at the Sunset Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Is that one on Franklin? Uh, there's two theaters, and one is on Franklin, but I'm going to be at the Sunset one. On the Sunset one, okay. Yeah. Two thirty p.m. the Sunset yep. Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Fantastic. After that, I'm going to um, I'm going to. Uh, do everything I can to become more of a regular there. You know, I see people jump on those stages, um, you know, five times a week. I want to be one of those guys. I'm not quite there yet, but, but I think pretty good. I think September 23rd will be a good show. Cool. Well, anybody that's listening and who will be in LA, you should go check out Carlson, say hi to him, check out the show. And, um, yeah, thanks again, man. Thank you, man. That was it's, uh, pleasure's mine entirely. Thank you. Well, we'll get you back on sometime. <laughs> right on. That would be awesome. All right. Take care, brother. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a wonderful conversation with a dear old friend. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled that Carlson is doing great. Not only is he doing great for himself, but he is giving the gift, helping others. And isn't that what it's all about? General Concerns is produced by yours truly, John J. Goddard. I encourage you to head to johnjgoddard.com and become a member to support forthcoming podcasts and independent media. I will catch you on the flip-flop. <laughs>